Is that gleam in his eye, desperation, or extreme confidence? I'll answer that, and a lot more, today on... Welcome back to another mini-episode of Inside the Box. I'm Jonathan Bollinger. And to be honest, this episode's subject, this wasn't planned. This was one of those times when something I was talking about because I'm such a fan of, it just happened to coincide with an article that was recently released, and then that article actually picked up a lot of traction on social media. It's also helpful, I guess, that the episode I just finished for our Patreon-only feed is absolutely connected. So, honestly, I figured why not kill two birds with one stone by reacting to this recent article and the social media reactions to it, while also, I guess, you know, doing a little bit of marketing for our Patreon. Now, I've said a million times, I really try not to date the podcast, because then it's something that If you find it 10 years from now or five years from now, you know, hopefully it'll have some utility for you because it's mostly dealing with history, you know, television history, and you won't be taken out of it by having us, you know, suddenly talk about some sort of current event because that would be distracting or, you know, it would most definitely situate the episode. So we try not to do that usually. Also, of course, you know, if I'm being honest, there's a better chance for longevity for the podcast and a certain versatility if the episodes are not frozen in time. Let me use an example real quick that I use all the time. What do you think of when you think of a typical Saturday Night Live episode? I'm sure some of you used to watch it quite often, and I'm sure some of you have not seen SNL in many, many years. But honestly, the format rarely changes. Basically, it's mostly sketches, though not all, and you can watch those sketches year in and year out or years after, and you'll probably still laugh at them. But to really enjoy the Weekend Update news parody segment? Well, that's different. You'd really have to have a good historical background about that particular time to get most of the jokes, because they're talking about current events. So, that's a long way of saying I'd prefer this podcast to be a little bit more like those SNL comedy sketches and a little less like the Weekend Update, so that you can basically enjoy these episodes whenever you might find them. Now, all that being said, I am also okay if some of these mini-episodes, rather than the main episodes, skew a little bit more toward being of their time, And perhaps, eventually, if we really don't do a good job, I guess even considered ephemeral. Because I assume more of you listen to the main episodes rather than also these mini-episodes. So, in that vein, I'm going to certainly be of this current time with this current topic. Let me explain. So here's what I want to talk about today as a real quick topic. Recently, a journalist named Dan Coes, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, it's K-O-I-S, Coes, 
Quas, wrote an article for Slate.com. And obviously, most journalists are responding to current events, so here he's really writing about the still-hot show Only Murders in the Building, available on Hulu. And I love that show myself. And if you're not familiar, it stars Selena Gomez, Steve Martin, and Martin Short. So he's really reacting to the fact that Martin Short is currently on a hit show again, and that's the impetus for writing the article. However, the reason the article got so much social media play is that Coase, or Coas is using that excuse to explain how he's just never really been a fan of Martin Short's work. Now, first off, after reading the article, and let me just be fair and say that I actually thought the article was really well written and fairly balanced, and that numerous times throughout the article, the author admits that he assumes Martin Short is probably a, you know, a very lovely, wonderful guy and a professional. It's just that his own subjective reaction to Martin Short is that he doesn't really find him very funny. So, I'm not going to go on and on about this point because, well, comedy is subjective. What I find funny, you may not, and that's okay. You know, I've had this discussion before with friends, and I'm sure you could have your own million examples. But one film that I've seen many times that I personally think is hilarious, and actually the first time I saw it was was back in an actual theater, I literally laughed, cried. And that, of course, is the parody music biopic film, Walk Hard, starring John C. Riley. I've talked to friends about that film, and they basically just, you know, shrug their shoulders and go, I don't get it. And that's fine. No problem. So, I don't begrudge this author for having an opinion that he just doesn't find Martin Short's work funny. But what I do want to do real quick in this mini-episode is to explain where I think that difference of opinion is actually anchored. One of the interpretations the author makes is that he reads Martin Short's work as desperate, that he'll supposedly do anything for a laugh. And what he reads as desperation, well, it's just not that appealing to him. You know, for when is desperation appealing, right? So he kind of just shrugs his shoulders at Short's bag of tricks. But my differing opinion of Martin Short as someone who grew up watching a lot of SCTV and Martin Short on SNL and in certain movies, although to be honest, unlike this uh, Slate.com author, I haven't seen every terrible film that Martin Short was in. But I think the difference of opinion is that what the author reads as sweaty desperation, and obviously I think there's this negative connotation with that phrase, is that I've never really read anything negative within Martin Short's performance or his performance choices. What I mean is, I've always got the feeling from Martin Short that he knew he was very talented. And if you want to use the word desperate, you know, that's fine. But he was desperate to show it to you because he always knew he could in fact deliver. You can read some of the books on SCTV, and in one, I believe it is the book that fellow cast member Dave Thomas produced, Eugene Levy is quoted as sort of supporting both sides, me and the Slate.com uh, author's uh, interpretations. 
Levy said that while he certainly appreciated Martin Short joining the show and providing that much-needed energy, it was also, you know, really hard sometimes to be sitting in a makeup chair, say at like dawn on a production day, with somebody like Short that, that was that up and full of energy and full of ideas and always seemingly ready to go. So my difference of opinion with the author is that he sees that gleam in Martin Short's eyes as a sort of neediness, whereas I think of it a little like a magician, knowing that he's practiced his tricks and knowing he's very good at his craft, and he just can't absolutely wait to show you that magic trick. I admit, I don't know if this is truth or a myth, since it is often told by Martin Short himself, but the story goes that as a kid, he would sort of be all worked up in a ball of energy in his bedroom, performing all these bits, all these characters, all these sketches, and imagining himself as a professional comedian, you know, a professional performer. And that in a lot of ways, what he's doing in his career is really just an extension of what he started all those years ago in his room. So if it is true, I just see a very practiced performer who loves the business and knows he's very good and wants to deliver each and every time. The other point I would make, and again, I'm not trying to prove anything here, right? If uh, Coas doesn't like Martin Short, that's fine. There's lots of performers out there you can enjoy. It's really no big deal. But the other thing I would point to is that when we don't like a performer, we often point to their limitations. It is, of course, not the only reason that we don't like a performer. And in this case, the author centers it on a perceived neediness or desperation. But for the sake of argument, let's just pretend for a second that we are, in fact, looking at limitations. We often diminish a performer because we feel that they are just a quote-unquote one-trick pony, in that they only have one trick in their bag, so to speak, and they go to that one too many times. We've seen it, we get tired of it, and so we say that they weren't really all that talented to begin with. I certainly have done that with certain musical performers. But if you're going to launch that argument against Martin Short, and to be fair, yeah, I could say, you know, that little dance Martin Short does? Well, pretty much any character he's ever done probably has done that dance. Or, you know, he goes to that dance whenever he knows he needs an absolute surefire way to a quick laugh. Now, I love the dance. You know, the wiggles in the dance, right? But what people forget with Martin Short is that he has done a lot of characters. Unlike some performers who only have a couple tools in their belt, and most of their characters are pretty much the same, I would counter-argue that Martin Short is one of the few sketch performers who can have both an absolutely bizarro character like one of my favorites, Jackie Rogers Jr., <laughs> while at the same time have a weird hybrid of an impression, but also a caricature in celebrity interviewer Brock Linehan. And you can also make that distinction a couple of different ways, as you could say that, you know, 
he can bring that over-the-top Jerry Lewis impression, but at the same time also bring the low-key Nathan Thurm, the obviously guilty-as-hell lawyer who pretends there's nothing wrong, a character that he's done many, many times. My point is, I think Martin Short is a pretty versatile sketch, character actor, and creator. So I don't think you can really dig on him as having a limited number of tricks in his bag. And, as I mentioned, the author is not necessarily saying that. It's more the desperation. However, to be fair, the author does also point out the idea that he takes offense at one of Short's more popular characters, and that was his character from the Father of the Bride films. Because he takes offense that the sort of language, the nationality of the character, and that Short plays a sort of femininity in his creation of Franck. And honestly, I can sort of see his point, because generationally, most of today's generation, younger people, uh, and, and I don't know if this author is younger or older or whoever he is, but I think I agree with him. Most of today's generation probably would also watch those scenes and complain because it all seems too easy and built on stereotypes. To go along with that, Short's uh, uh, co cast member from SCTV, Dave Thomas, at least for a short period of time. You know, Dave Thomas, if you know of some of his SCTV characters, you know that he would also have similar problems today. Uh, For example, trying to defend a Chinese character that he used to play. Uh, And he's talked about this a little bit uh, because back in their time, you know, he'll say generationally that he never really had issues with it. To him, it was okay to rip on on them a little bit, to make fun of of folks a little bit, but not necessarily with the intent to harm. But obviously, these days, there's a different understanding. There's a different sensitivity. So I'm not surprised that Short would have had that type of character in his back pocket, just like I'm not surprised that Thomas had his sort of characters in his back pocket, just based on sort of their age, their generational peer group, their background, etc., But obviously, neither would really fly in today's uh, comedy world. Now, I just want to make two more points. The first is, you have to also remember that through the majority of Short's career, and only until recently, although I think he still looks very good for his age, Short's always had a boyish handsomeness, and in his very early, early years, a downright cuteness almost akin to like a Michael J. Fox, that he knew he could always rely upon to help him win over an audience. So again, from my perspective, if you're that practiced, if you're that inventive, if you're that creative, and you know that you're, you know, sort of a handsome devil, I just can't ever read that as a quote-unquote desperateness or being desperate. I can only read that as a confidence. Now, I don't remember Short's height, and I didn't look it up to be honest with you, but I feel like he might be a shorter gentleman, so maybe perhaps you could make some sort of armchair psychologist argument by saying he knows he's a bit shorter, that he's not the traditional leading man height, that perhaps some sort of desperation comes from there. But again, I feel like he knew he had a lot of other tools to rely on, uh, that, for me, is to, be re- is to be read more as confidence. 
In the last point I'll make, and to be fair to the author again, is that a performer's career is not always on top, obviously. And at any moment, a career in quote-unquote showbiz is like a roller coaster. At certain times, you're way up high and things are wonderful, and in the next few months or the next few years, it dips down inevitably into the valley, and you're just simply trying to survive and hoping to have another hit. So as I mentioned earlier, the author seems much more well-versed in Short's fallow period than I am. And so, if the author reads any sort of desperation during the low moments of Short's career, which I'm going to guess is probably some parts of the very early 1990s and some parts of the late 1990s, then I think that's actually somewhat fair if that is what the author is reading into it. Because any performer he's going to come off a bit desperate when they know things are really tough and they really need to hit and it hasn't happened in a long time. I think you can make an argument that in some way performers who have already made it but then lost it for a bit, I think they're actually more desperate than a novice performer trying to get their first big break because there's a sort of ignorance, a sort of naivete in the new performer just trying to hit the first time, versus the veteran who knows how wonderful it can be when something works, when you do get that bigger payday, and when you do get the accolades. And so, you know, you're a little bit more desperate, perhaps, to get that all back. And I guess I lied. (laughs) I'm actually going to make one last point. And that is whether you want to call it eagerness, or desperation, or whatever, maybe too much energy, the fact remains that Short could just simply be like so many other performers, so many lifetimers, that Martin Short, very early on in his life, absolutely fell head over heels in love with the idea of quote-unquote show business and what he could do in it. And that love affair has never subsided. It's what drives him. He wants to do this. It's probably the only thing he's ever wanted to do, and he keeps doing it. And the fact that his current show, Only Murders in the Building, is a big hit, only proves that. So, at the end of the day, whatever you read into it, eagerness or desperation, it's because he's in love with what he does, and he keeps wanting to do it over and over and over and over again. It's his priority. So, with all of that, whether you agree with me or not, I think it's an interesting conversation. So I'll just end by reminding you that if you do like SCTV and Martin Short, if you do like that generation of performers, consider donating to the Patreon. Because like I said at the beginning of this episode, I just released a brand new bonus Patreon-only episode titled After SCTV, and it focuses on three projects. One from Dave Thomas, one from Martin Short, and one from Eugene Levy that were created in 1984, 1985, and 1988 respectively that I admit hardcore fans are probably already going to be familiar with. But if you're more of a casual fan and you might not know about these projects, you might want to consider quote-unquote tuning in, (laughs) donating, and listening to that episode. So as always... 
If you've hung in there with me through the entirety of this mini episode, I do appreciate it. Also, if you are listening in real time, I hope you're enjoying our special two-part brand new episodes in the main feed, absolutely free, that are covering the late 1970s NBC miniseries titled Holocaust. Steve is discussing that miniseries. I'm there too a little bit, but it's mostly Steve discussing it with our special guest, Dr. Craig Conan. So I hope you're enjoying that along with the new mini episodes, as well as the Mining the Archive Mondays. If you, again, if you'd like to get full access to the full archive of episodes and those brand new bonus episodes, please consider donating a few dollars to the Patreon. Or if you have a friend who you think might enjoy this podcast, simply let them know about us. They might want to either listen for free or donate as well. And so with that, for Steve Voorhees, Andrew J. Salvati, I'm Jonathan Bullinger. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you down the road. Bye-bye. <laughs>